You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. I don't know how you do with Christmas, and I'm going to share today about joy. And this is joy for the season is what I'm calling this. I don't know how you are about um, about this season, but Christmas is unique to me. Like, there is no other time of the year that's that's like Christmas that will cause you to remember things that you forgot about, you thought you forgot about. 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, whatever. It's kind of like going to the fair. I can still go to the fair. I haven't been in years here. And, um, uh, but if I were to go to the fair this next year, when it comes around, I guarantee you, as soon as I walk up to the gates and as soon as I get in, there's a certain smell about that fair that reminds me of being a kid. My granddaddy used to work there and as a volunteer, and i just hang out in the booth as people were taking tickets. There's a certain smell, and I don't know what it is that they cook. It's just a mixture of corn dogs, cotton candy, candied apple. It's just a weird, you can't get that out of a candle. It's a, it's a unique smell that only happens in a fair, you know. Maybe it's the smell of, you know, guys who haven't taken a bath all week. It's been putting the machines together. I don't know what it is, but it's all in there together. But certain smells will remind you of things, you know. Like, I don't know how that works with you, but it, big time for me. I hear a song. You know, it's like a it's like a Kenny Chesney tune or something. Like, there's a song that takes me back. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's certain things that just remind you of seasons gone. Christmas is no different. It's the weirdest thing every year, every single year. No matter what I do, I don't try to think about this. I don't try to go down memory lane. But every single Christmas, it never fails. This happens. I remember this one event that happened at Christmas, and it may have. No significance in my life whatsoever, other than I'm going to use it today to hopefully minister to you. But I was a, either a senior in high school or I just graduated high school. I don't know. It might have been after you know high school. But I was, I was in the place where I needed money. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it was that phase of life, still working part-time. And my uncle had this neighbor where he lived, and he was moving. And so he was asking my uncle, hey, do you know anybody that paints houses? I need to get my house painted on the inside. He's putting it on the market. You know, home needs to be painted and that kind of stuff before you sell it. And so my uncle, he said, well, I'll check around. He asked me. He said, hey, man, do you want to paint a house? It's good money and, you know, take you probably two weeks, I think, was the window or something like that. It was, it was a pretty big house. And it's just me. So I thought, man, yeah, I'll do it. Sounds awesome. And so I get all this stuff together. He works it out with the guy. And I get over there and have all my stuff. I'm going to buy rollers and paint and brushes and all this. I'm going and I'm going to paint this house, man. And I get over there, and about the, the day I'm buying this stuff, I'm already kind of feeling a little weird, like kind of sick feeling like I need some Advil or whatever, but it just got worse. Like by day two, by day three, by midweek, it was one of those, like I need NyQuil, but it's during the daytime, and I can't do that, but that's what I felt. I mean, I remember laying on the carpet, just like, this is awful. Like, I, these people are coming back in less than two. I got a week and a half to knock this house out, and I'm not even close. I haven't even got a one room done yet. To make matters worse, my uncle comes by to inspect everything, and if you know him, you wouldn't, unless you know him, you don't know, but like he's very, um, how should I say it, uh, I probably picked this stuff up from him, but like I'm going to do it the right way, so if you get around me, like you probably, if you work with me, anything like that, I'll probably drive you nuts if you're one of these kind of people who like, oh no, it's good enough, I'll probably drive you crazy because like, it's not good enough, we're not going to sweep stuff under the rug, no, we're going to do it again until like, we get it right, I'm not going for perfectionism, but you know, we're not going to skip a step either. You get what I'm saying? I got that from him. Like, he would drive you crazy about it. If you used his tools, he'd come in, where's my tool? Well, it's over there. I'm not done with it. You put it back when you get done with it. Like, nonstop. And so now that's what I do to my kids. I'm driving them crazy. 
Until they learn, I'm going to keep driving them crazy, you know. But he comes in and checks what I've done, and he looks around, and he goes, man, what have you been doing? I said, well, man, yeah, I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm trying. I am trying so hard. He said, I can see you're, you're sick. Man, what's wrong with you? I don't know, but I'm bad sick. You need some medicine. You need to go home. So I went and laid down. I got medicine for a day. I come back. He's already in there. He got some other people to help too and just kind of help me out, get it going. He looks at me and says, do you know how to paint? <laughs> and, you know, to be honest with you, here's what I thought. And up until that moment, yes, I thought I knew how to paint. But obviously by looking at him and how he's talking to me, I'm thinking, I don't know how to paint. So I answered kind of sheepishly, yeah, I think so. He said, I don't think you do. He said, you've painted over the nail marks. You've got to patch these. I was like, what? I thought I was supposed to patch stuff. I thought he was painting. He goes, you can't paint until you patch. You've got to patch first. And what are you putting on the tree? I mean, he was going through. He finally realized, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, man, I thought you knew how to paint because I went to some trade school. And I guess he thought they taught us how to paint. They didn't teach us how to paint. They taught us how to build and electrical and plumbing, all this other stuff. But they never had a course on painting. And I'm artistic, and I can draw, and I can create stuff. And so you would think you can just paint if you can draw. That's not true. Painting a square wall is not fun. Like, you look at it, and finally you're like, can we just throw something else on it? It's just so boring, you know. Well, he taught me how to paint. I learned, got the skill. Now, I can paint now. I, I can paint. I can throw it. I'm not a professional by any means, and, but I know how to paint now. But as I was going on, what happened was I came on, I got into this job, and the, the time it was taking, it was, ex, it was just boring. And on top of that, I was sick. And everything about this job just sucked the life out of me. I was so like, just I just wanted to end. And what it was is I lost my joy in the process. And so in life, and especially at Christmas time, you can lose your joy if you're not careful in the process of what happens over the next couple of weeks. The, the tension of family coming to town, you know. I don't know if you have that, you know. We're all good in our family, but I know some people, it's really tough, man. You don't see them all year and they fly in and you got to deal with all that. They're living with you that week or two. I don't know how that works, but I'm just telling you, don't let your joy run out or you will be wishing for a new year super fast. And when I'm sharing this with you today, because in the Bible, the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is really our strength. Not only that, there is this tension that goes with as a Christian, I'm supposed to have joy, but many times I don't. If we're honest, now, if you want to fake it and act like all religious and come and tell me, no, I'm joyful, I'm joyful, that's fine. You do it all day long, you want to. But most people, it's a fight to have joy because so much pulls it out of you. So I'm going to look at something in Luke, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. If you want to turn there, click there, or whatever you want to do, like in Luke's chapter 2 and verse 8, you want to go there, I'm going to share something from this, but I need to give you a little backdrop on Luke before I do. Luke was not one of Jesus' disciples. He is writing this based upon his account of all the eyewitnesses. He was not there when this was transcribed. He's getting this from eyewitness accounts. Luke, though, was with other people, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. 
Luke writes about joy and the birth of Jesus. So listen to Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. <clears throat> he says that that night, this is the, the, the birth of, or the announcement of, of Jesus. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, and he said, Don't be afraid. I bring you, watch this, good news that will bring great joy to many people. Or to all people, I should say. The Savior, yes, the Messiah of the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. He says, I bring you great or good news that's going to bring great joy to all people. Now, if that's the case, can I just, I know, this is be honest, brutally honest. If that's the case, then why is it that Christians are not joyful people most of the time? If this is true, then why do we struggle with joy so much? And don't look at me like, well, I'm happy. No, you should see what I see when I preach. I have to make you smile and laugh at me right now. Some of you smile nervous like, I didn't want to do good anyway. <laughs> It'll do something for you. I just released 10,000 endorphins in your life right then. Just help your brain cells, you know. If you don't feel better from the message, at least your body will thank you for smiling today. It might be the only time some of you smile is today, right now. Joy is one of those things that, it sounds superficial. It sounds like, well, how do you get joy? I mean, I'm supposed to have joy. I don't know how. Do I listen to like some comedians or what do I do? Well, joy is one of those things that the Bible says good news is supposed to bring great joy. But here's why I think we don't have it so much is because in the opposition of joy, there is trials, there is issues, there are circumstances there are relationship struggles at Christmas, like, hey, 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 you know, it's, it's just getting, all this stuff comes at you and it robs you of joy. Your joy tank gets depleted, if you will. So here's the thing I want you to hear today. Trials come to everyone. How'd that make you feel? Everybody gets trials, everyone, all of us, preachers included, you know, the people you see on Facebook that all they post is their super fun, highlight, happy moments of life. Their dinners never burnt. Their babies always smile. Their husbands always at home. They always have a perfect life. Those people go through trials too. They just don't post them. Don't look at them like, well, I wish I had their life. That's not their life. That's some Kardashian made up world that they just post out there for you guys. That's not real. You go to their house and watch their kids just thrown up everywhere. They got in a fight with their husband. They burnt the biscuits. They just don't post it. That's the real thing. So trials come to everybody. And the, here's the other thing. I'm going to share Before I go further, this is what's weird. It seems like the more you press into Jesus, it seems like you get hit with some more difficult trials sometimes. Now, did I make you feel any better? I'm going to tell you something. I've had greater fights spiritually as time has gone on than I ever did when I first started serving Jesus. I mean, it was like some big, like, you know, I felt like I got into some multi-level marketing thing when I first came to Christ. Oh, wow, this is great. This is great. I'm going to be the top of the pyramid. I feel like, oh, this is wonderful. Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. Everything's great. Then a couple of years go by, I was like, man, wait, where'd that feeling go? 
can I get that again? You know, go down front 20 times, it doesn't help. You're like, what? what happened to all that? It's because God expects us to grow and understand that you've got to develop, but the trials keep coming. They don't stop just because you came to faith in Christ. And so God teaches us how to have joy in these difficult seasons, difficult relationships, difficult circumstances. But many times, here's the thing, before I read this next verse that Luke wrote, we mix. The reason why we don't have joy is because we mix ideology, we mix some false theology, we mix some pagan thinking, we mix some other people's opinions, and we mix it all into one bowl like we're making Christmas cookies and expect to understand God with all of that going on in our mind. And that is not the way that God intended for us to live. So this guy, Luke, who wrote about the gospel, Jesus Christ, he is coming. This is good news. He's going to bring great joy to all people. He writes another verse in Acts. So I want you to look at this, Acts chapter 28 and verse 1. It's a little bit of a a paragraph I'm going to read to you here, but this is the story before I read it. This is the story where Paul was shipwrecked near the island of Malta. Luke was there. Luke traveled with Paul a lot. He was not with Jesus. He got eyewitness accounts about Jesus from others. But he has a lot of eyewitness accounts with Paul and other people. But he is with Paul. He's on this boat. His, His experience is here. The boat is basically being shipwrecked. It's being tossed to and fro in the sea. And Paul had actually warned. Listen, I'm back up for a moment. This is not my message, but I'm going to say it anyway. Paul tried to warn the captain of the ship not to go. He said, I feel like I sense something. I didn't have a word from the Lord. I sense this is going to be dangerous. I sense something's not right. Can we hold off just a little bit? Now, he's a prisoner. Somebody's paying attention to him. Captain's like, who do you think you are? You're number 102. Get in the thing, you know. Paul tried to warn them. So listen, you don't always get a word from the Lord. Sometimes it's just a, uh uh-uh, wait. Doesn't mean you can't take the ship, right? Just hang out a minute. Just wait for better sailing. They didn't listen to Paul. So here's the results. The ship is going to be destroyed. All this stuff's going to be thrown overboard. They've lost all their cargo and everything. And it says in verse 1 of Acts 28, this is Luke. Same guy that told you, good news is going to bring great joy to everybody. This is him. He's in a shipwreck. And he says, once we were safe on the shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. It's near Greece and Italy and all those areas over there. But the people of the island were very kind to us. Now listen to these folks. It was cold and rainy, and so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. And as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was lying or laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, a different translation reads it this way, a viper. It would have been a poisonous viper. Driven out by the heat, it bit him on the hand, and the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, watch this, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, now justice will not permit him to live. That's their thought process. They go on to say, they go on to say verse 5, but Paul shook off the snake in the fire. You know, I got to stop here for a moment because like to me, when I read the Bible, I don't know how you interpret things, but it looks like as if he was getting wood out of a pile and a snake, you know. And he's still carrying the wood to the fire. And then it's like he just shakes it off. 
this is too calm of a storyline for me. I'm sorry, but uh, I'd be pulling a Taylor Swift when I first pulled that wood out of the pile. I'd be shake, shake, shaking it off real quick. He looks like he's just like, no problem. There's not enough intensity in this sentence from Luke. He's a physician. I guess he's just giving the facts. But to me, I'm like, brother, who just looks at his neck and says, huh? Hmm. I don't do that. I would have freaked out. Probably need a new pair of shorts or something, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, anyway, he's calm about it. So anyway, he shakes us off and he's unharmed. In verse 6, the people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. They just waited on him. What kind of... I thought we were all so hospitable. We're building you a fire. Welcome, welcome. I know it's cold. You're standing by the fire. Now they're just watching him. Is he going to die? Where? Can anybody help out? Do y'all have some ingredients or anything to help me? Do you have some you know, cures or whatever? They just watching him to see if he's going to die. So when they had waited a long time, I don't know how long this was, but I guess long enough, they saw that he wasn't harmed. They changed their minds and decided, oh, well, now he's a god. Well, first he was a murderer. Oh, now he's a god. If you go to Malta today, Malta is inundated with stories about Paul, sites, all kinds of things. It is very, very much around Paul. He's still kind of elevated there in a great way. The thing I want you to see about this is, if you, as a Christian, if you bring this into your thought process as a believer, which many Christians do, they bring in a pagan's thought process. They bring in this thought that says, well, it's a paganistic view, if you will, that says, well, because of my trouble, I must have angered God. Therefore, I guess because I must have done something wrong, that's why this is happening to me. God must be teaching me a lesson. That's the way a lot of Christians think. Oh, if I got these blessings coming after me, I must have done something right. I came to church at the right amount of times. I helped Pastor Jody at the end of the year offerings. I served over here. I did this. It must be why I'm getting blessed because I did something for God. That's why he's taking care of me. And so what, what happens is it's like a ping pong match that goes back and forth because when you don't get blessings from God, you think I've made God angry. But when you do get blessings from God, you think God did something right. So you're constantly trying to figure out what did I do to please him? What did I do to anger him so I don't do that again or so that I do do that again? It's a vicious cycle. And it comes from a paganistic thought process. No matter what, hear this very clearly. There is this view today in Christianity that says either one of two things. People have a terrible time just staying in the middle of something. We got to either get over here in this or over here in that. And there's a thought that says, well, God comes after me. He's put this on me. He's harmed me. He did this to me because I did something wrong. And they get over here like that right there. And there are some people that get so far over here that they say, no matter what I do, God still loves me. And he forgives me, and it doesn't matter. I'm totally fine with God, no matter what I choose to do. Well, you are forgiven, yeah. But there's the middle of this, this road. Either, neither are correct. Because one is accepting the responsibility for something that Jesus has already paid for over here. This side over here is denying any responsibility, yet enjoying the benefits of what Jesus provided for over here. The middle is simply this. No one gets off 
against God for the wrong that they have done. No one. We are all guilty. You need to understand that of sin, of wrongdoing. All of us are guilty. Watch this though. This is why it's good news because he sent Jesus to pay for your guilt. Somebody's got to pay. We don't get to heaven one day and no one's paid the bill. He's going to say, who paid the bill? And if you say, well, I tried really good and I did some really good things and that's why you blessed me or I made some mistakes and that's why you were angry with me. He's going to say, that's not good enough. That payment won't do. Jesus is the payment. But you can't get over here and say, well, I made God mad. That's why things are going wrong. Or I did some good stuff and that's why things are going right. And you can't get over here and say, well, it's not really anything to do with me. Jesus loves me anyway, and he just forgives me, and my life's great. No, 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 no. Somebody has to pay. Some justice is going to be made. Someone's got to pay. And that's where Jesus steps in. He steps in right into the middle, and he pays for it all so that we don't live over here and say, it doesn't really matter what I do. I have no responsibility. No, we have responsibility. You're forgiven. You're redeemed, and yes, you can live in joy and peace and freedom from sin over here, absolutely. But over here, you also have to understand that nothing you do, right or wrong, is ever going to satisfy the payment that has to be made. But Christians go wishy-washy all the time on this. Because when something goes wrong, here's the thought. What did I do wrong? I must have angered God. Well, maybe you did something wrong, but if that is your thought process, here's what you're saying. Jesus Christ is not enough. You're saying that because I've sinned and I made mistakes over here, God's angry with me, so Jesus is not enough then. That's what you're saying. He either paid for it all or he didn't. And as a Christian, we have to stop going back and forth with a paganistic thought that says, if I do good, God's happy. If I do bad, God's mad. No, Jesus either paid it all or he didn't. Yes, I made mistakes. And you know what? Yeah, maybe he kind of backs off and says, all right, you want to go your own way? He'll let you do it. But don't think for a minute that God somehow looks at you and says, well, as a Christian, you made the mistake, so I'm angry with you. No, he poured out his wrath on Jesus. And that was enough. You don't have to do penance anymore. Now, you might need to repent. There's a big difference in repentance. You understand, right? That's realizing, ah, I'm off track. I'm going to need to repent. I'm going to change courses. But even in the midst of that, do you think God's really angry at you during your repentant lifestyle? I love when my kids repent. My goodness, you kidding? Like, I'm loving that. When they want to repent from something, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I'm just going to take a load off the prayer team right there. You know, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Nobody wants to deal with rebellion and all that kind of stuff. You're happy when repentance comes. So as a Christian, though, listen with this. Psalm 34 says, verse 19, the righteous person faces many troubles, but watch this, but the Lord comes to the rescue every single time. So no matter what you're faced with, good or bad, if you have a philosophy that says, I made God angry, this verse doesn't work then. I've made some boneheaded decisions. I've made some big mistakes as a believer, as a pastor, many times that they were my fault. But every single time, watch this, the Lord is the one that got me out of it. Even when I made a mistake, well, yeah, 
what's the point of having God if you can't go to him when you mess up? Like as if, well, I just need him for salvation. That's it. Are you kidding me? We're idiots. We need God every day. The next thing people think about is this. If it's not a paganistic thought process, they think like this, that God has wronged them. They think that somehow God has wronged them because he's sending something to teach them a lesson. You know, I needed this to happen because God put this on me because I needed to learn something. I don't know. I'm not saying you can't learn something through it, but based on what I've seen in Scripture, experience is not the best teacher. You know, like if you're going to get in a boxing match and you've never boxed before and you're getting in a ring with a Golden Gloves boxer, wouldn't you like to have some knowledge first? I don't want to get knocked out and go, huh, I got to go in there next week and learn again. Next week, learn again. That might take a while. I might be in bad trouble before long. I want to get prepared for the fight. The Bible tells us that, man, listen, he gives us his word to lead us and guide us and direct us. Not experiences, but so many people, that's what we think. We think, well, man, if I got this trial in my life, then God sent it and he's trying to teach me something from it. Listen to what James says. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, remember, whenever you're being tempted, do not say that God is tempting me. Four, God is never tempted to do, let's say it out loud, wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. So when things happen to you that are not good, very clear theology. I'm a simple guy. I'm a simple guy. James says it basically like this. If it's bad, it didn't come from God. If it's good, guess what? It came from God. He's pretty simple. Every good and perfect gift comes from above from the Father of lights. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's not. Pretty simple. But if, if we have this thought that says, well, I guess this happened to me because God was trying to teach me something in the process. That's not what the Bible teaches. Things happen always. The, the scriptures declare this, that God causes the sun to shine down on the just and the unjust. He causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That's why you look around and you go, well, how do these evil people making all this money in their lives doing this? Because God's not withholding the sun from them. That's what Jesus said about Christians. He said the people in the world are wiser many times than the people of faith. Why is he saying that? Because we get stuck in this little rut that says, well, I must have messed up. That's why God's causing this to happen to me. Instead of saying, you know what? Bad things happen sometimes. I don't know why. I don't have time to figure that out. God, I need you to help me. It's a much easier process. You've got to work just as hard either way. I need your help, God. What do I do? How can I get through this? God, can you help me through this? But if you don't do that, here's what other thing people think, and I'm going to move on after this. They think that I'm the only one. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. People say, well, you don't know what it's like to go through what I'm going through. And here's what I found out as a pastor with a lot of people around me, everybody goes through something like what you've been through. You're not immune. I promise you. You can tell me whatever story you tell me. And I've been surprised sometimes. I have been surprised. and thought, well, that's a good one. I mean, that's, well, you really are in a pickle. You might make the top 10 with that one, but then I get surprised again and realize like, you know, yours wasn't as bad as I thought. 
We all go through things. You're not the only. The only person I know that gets to be the only one is Tigger. He's the only one that gets to be, I'm the only one. He's the only one that gets to, he's the only one. The, only, the wonderful thing about Tigger's is I'm the only one. He's the, he's the only one. But all the rest of us, you're not Tigger's, right? You're not characters in a story. You are humans. And things happen to all of us, good or bad. First Corinthians says this in chapter 10, verse 13. He says, the temptations, this is Paul, and Paul knows something about trials. Am I right? That brother was shipwrecked, left for dead, beaten, the same way they beat Jesus three different times. He was like everything you could think of, unjustly persecuted, tried wrongly, it happened to him. He says, the temptations or the trials in your life are no different from what other people experience. And then he says this, and God is that is worth, I could just stop right there, dismiss, that should help your day right there. He is faithful. Say, well, he wasn't faithful in my situation. No, 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 no. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. No matter what I face, no matter what I've gone through, and yet maybe it didn't work out the way I thought it did. And it doesn't sometimes. That's the tr- We can't go around acting like some kind of super Christian where everything just fell in place for our lives. Like, well, it worked out for me every single time. It does not. People that tell you that haven't really faced a real trial. If people come up to you and say, God's always worked out for my life and everything just went up. And they post that on Facebook. They are lying to you. They are a lying Christian. You better watch out for them. I'm telling you right now, things go wrong and it don't always go right, but God's still faithful. There's a lot of stuff that didn't go right for me. A lot of stuff didn't go right for my wife, but he's still faithful. I'm just, just being real with you. I'm not going to act like... Everything was rosy. Oh, we got married and God's been, he's faithful. But everything, he just made everything Oh, and we always overcame. And it was just wonderful. We're victorious in the Lord. Bull, blah. No, we weren't. We struggled. We failed. We made mistakes. But God has still been faithful. He was faithful to David when he messed up. Pretty bad. But he said, that man right there is still a man after my own heart. He was faithful to Samson. Samson blew it pretty big. But in the end, God was faithful to him. He's faithful no matter what we go through. This is what happens. If we look at this trial more than we do his faithfulness, this is when we begin to lose joy. I'm going to wrap up with some thoughts here. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. But if you look at circumstances long enough, it'll st- I'm telling you right now, it'll steal your joy. It'll take everything from you. Everything that you heard today, you walk at the store, if you go back and look at that circumstance more than you look at God, it'll rob everything from you. You've got to remember God's faithful. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, this is an interesting verse from Habakkuk. I'm going to read this to you, but if you're not in agriculture, you might not understand the value of this verse. But here, this would be... This is a very, very um, financially rich verse, okay? So when he says this, this is not some guy who just had one or two fig bushes. This was livelihood. He says in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though my flocks die in the fields, And the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
this man has lost everything. Everything. He didn't say, God, why did you? Even though I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Listen, if you got no joy, you got no strength. If you got no strength, you have no victory. It is this key to really making it. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that. But there's folks in our church, man, that have been through some serious, I mean serious heartaches. And they still push on. Declaring the faithfulness of God. And sometimes I get a little frustrated. I got to be honest with you. When somebody starts complaining how, well, I didn't get what I wanted for Christmas. I'm like, you big old cry baby. I'm going to get some pacifiers. And just give them to that when they just give you one sometimes. Well, I didn't get my thing. And then other people have lost everything. And they come in no matter what. Lift their hands in the middle of tears and rejoice. Let me tell you, that is inspirational right there. That is some serious faith. Not, well, God didn't give me what I wanted. Well, why, why, why? I'm going to give you what you need, a pacifier. So here's the last thing I want to share. Like I said, I'm going to wrap it up with these thoughts. So do I have joy? I'll, look, I'll give it to you and I'll bless it and be happy. You know, in Jesus' name, here you go. God bless you. I'll be happy. But how about that, Right. The only people that's offended right now is one that might need needing one. I mean, if you're, if you're looking sour and mad right now, that might tell you something right there. I'm just saying. <clears throat> you might want to laugh just to get through it, you know? So here's what I'm going to wrap up with. And this is going to sound superficial. It really is. But this is Bible. And this is God's plan to help you have joy. The question is, do I have joy this Christmas season? And if you don't, hear me out then you have a great opportunity to have joy. I know it sounds superficial. I know it sounds like great. That's real helpful. This is God's plan. James 1, 2, 4 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. He didn't say when God sends it to you. He just says when troubles come to you. Consider an opportunity for great joy. Verse 3, for when you know that your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, needing nothing. Not needing pacifiers. That's what he's saying right there. It's an opportunity. What is an opportunity? An opportunity is this. It's a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. So that means when you go through difficulty, it now is an opportunity to have great joy. Like, that makes no sense, does it? When you hear that, does that... Well, I'm joyful when I go through good things. How can that be? Because it's an opportunity. Opportunities are things that happen. There's a window of time, and then the window closes. It's an opportunity. If you had joy, listen, you wouldn't need the opportunity for joy. It is an opportunity. So this is what Peter says about this. First Peter 1 says, So truly be glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Well, obviously, if you're not joyful, he's talking to us right now. If you're joyful, you don't need to read this, do you? You're in the Bible where the Bible says, are you happy? Great, sing praises. Are you joyful? Good, pray for others. It's like good for you. But if you're not, there's great joy ahead. That's what he's saying. 
even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. And again, he did not say God sent them to you. Just think about that for a moment. God can use it, yeah. But be careful that you say, God, I'm, I'm growing through this or I'm developing. I mean, I see this. I mean, God's going to help me through this. But don't be careful that you don't say God sent this on me like some Paul's thorn in the flesh thing that God put this on me and I got to be sick all my life. No, that's not God. God doesn't do those kinds of things. We have a fallen world that's messed up, but it's not God's fault. He gets blamed for everything. Have you noticed that? Like, nobody, you know, nobody wants to talk about him anymore. We want to blame him for all the bad, but they still put him in all the insurance, Paul, acts of God. He's responsible for tornadoes, hurricanes, everything else. Good gracious, you know? Anyway, this is one of these thought process on this verse that people say, okay? Just, just hear this very closely. And I, I promise you, I'm wrapping up on this thought. Just, you just got to hear this. <clears throat> These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested. doesn't mean God's testing you. The subject is your faith, not God. Your faith might be being tested. It might be going through a trial, but it's not God doing it. But your faith is going to get tested. It just is. It says this, these trials will show your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. That takes some faith. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Now listen, you're saved. You're saved. There's not a question about that. What he's saying is this reward for trusting him. Listen, the salvation of your soul is worth it all. You might go through difficulty and hard seasons, but it's worth it all for the salvation of your souls. It's worth it all for salvation in Christ. But here's what most people say about this verse. And I'm just telling you, maybe these are, I'm just trying to help. I want you to hear. If you've said this or you've heard this before, I pray this helps you today. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this statement. They quote a verse from the King James Bible, same verse, from verse 9. People say this, and I'll put it on the screen for you. They say, well, the trials of your faith are more precious than gold. Have you ever heard it said this way before? Well, it's just the trials of your faith are more precious than gold. The only problem with that when you say that is it's not Bible. That's not what the Bible says. Now, I'm not a grammar guy. Didn't do so great in English. Need a lot of help. I've had to study my rear off when I'm trying to study it, you know, for the Bible because the Greek, all this stuff is difficult. I'll be honest with you. That's why I'm not a professor. <laughs> it is difficult to understand that arrangement of their sentences and their structures. But here's what I know about this statement. I know enough to know. If you're an educator, give me a little grace today, okay? I know enough to know this, that you can take out a couple of things in here and you don't tear up the sentence. When it says that the trials of your faith are more precious than gold, you can take out the three words of your faith and it doesn't hurt the sentence. Here's what people are saying. The trials are more precious than gold. That's what they're telling you. 
Are the trials of your faith more precious than gold? They're not saying your faith is more precious than gold, or they would say your faith is more precious than gold. They're saying, that's what the Bible says, by the way. They're saying that your trials. Confession, I've never had a trial that was precious. Have you? Let alone it be valuable like some gold. I've never had that in my life. Not one time I can tell you, oh, you know, last week, I had a trial, and it was glorious. (laughs) Let me tell you all about it. And we compare our trials to each other, and you tell me your trial, you're like, yours was more glorious than I. Wow. Let us all get in a small group now and confess our trials, how glorious they are. Do any of you do that? No. They stink. But this is what people do. They mix again these paganistic thoughts. To say, well, it must be, if it's bad, I've hurt God somehow. I've, I've made him mad at me. If it's good, I must be doing the right things. The trials of your faith are more precious than gold. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 9 that even though, he says this, that, you're, you're, that the trials that you go through, <coughs> it shows that your faith is genuine. And your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. The fire, if you've ever seen this in a kiln before, if you do like pottery or if you do, you know, gold or silver, anything, do you know what the fire is for? It's the most amazing thing. No one likes to get burned by the fire. It's awful. I've been burned before. It doesn't feel good. But when you're doing this precious metals, you know what they're doing with the fire? They're burning out all the impurities. Gold is, you know, ranked in like carrots. And I, I don't wear, I don't even know what I got on my finger here, but I'm not a jewelry guy and it's not something I like. I only do this because, you know, Haley makes me. I, I work with stuff and, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, I, I wear it because, you know, she wants me to and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I know it identifies and all that stuff. But to be honest with you, I'm not a jewelry guy. It just kind of irritates me. Since when I'm working on something, it's always like, but I'll leave it on there. Because last time I took my first one off, I lost it and it's gone. Somebody, it's in the backyard somewhere. I can't find it. So I've never, I don't take this one off, very rarely. But the thing is, I know this about gold, it's precious. But it, it, it's, the preciousness of gold increases the more you get the impurities out. That's why you have, what, is it like 14 carat? And there's what, like 24 carat, right? It keeps going up. And if you get real pure gold, it's a lot more expensive than the stuff that you get out of the little 25 cent machine, you know? You can't, there's some stuff that's in a locked vault that they don't even let you see in the window counter. They take you back in the store and say, now here's the really, that's where the Kardashians buy their jewelry from. You know, you get to see all the window stuff, but they go in the back place where there's a vault because it's more pure. When you go through trials, your faith gets tested, but it's getting out impurities. Isn't it funny how when you go through stuff, nobody likes it? but it'll put you on your knees, won't it? I swear. Listen, you can go through an easy life. You won't pray near as much as when you go through something bad. When stuff hits your doorstep, it's amazing how you don't know how to pray, but all of a sudden you figure it out. Because what? And God's not sending the stuff to hurt you, but he's just telling you, you live in a fallen world, stuff's going to happen. And when it does, one of two responses we have is be like pagans and say, well, I guess I've angered God. Or forget that. Say, God, help me. 
How do I get through? What do I need? I get on my knees and pray to God, help me, Jesus. Because it's an opportunity for great joy. So now listen, today here's what I want to share with you as I wrap up and leave and dismiss and all those good things you've been waiting on. So the opportunity for great joy is this. If you look at where you're at right now, even when you're praying, if I only see where I'm at, I'm never going to have any joy in it. I got to be able to look up. Even though I'm going through here, this is where I'm at. This is bad and it's difficult and I don't like it. And it's painful. I have to look up and see what is the answer. Where am I going? What is God going to do through this? How can I get any joy? Where is the joy in this? It's probably not right here. But I got to look out further out. You may have to look all the way on the other side of heaven to see it. It may not be here that you get joy for it. It might be there. But I'm going to look out there and get joy, an opportunity for joy. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And as we close out today, I want to really, really have you think about this. Every person in this room, every one of you, and I don't know all of you by name, but every one of you in this room, I promise you this, if you were to ask the person next to you, or person three sections over from you, hey, have you had any difficulties in your life? If they were an honest Christian, they would say, yes, I have. And if you were to ask them, listen, well, how are you doing now with it? Well, I'm, I'm getting better, or I'm better, or I'm, they're gonna have, you're going to have varied responses. Well, I'm struggling through it, but, I'm having to, but you know what? Here's the thing I've realized. People that seem to have the greatest joy, they don't stay focused on where this is right here. They tell you things like, well, it's difficult, but God is faithful. Or they say something like, but you know the Lord is good. It didn't turn out like I thought it would, but the Lord's never let me down. I thought it was going to go this way, and I was wrong. And, but God, I don't know what he's doing, but I know he's doing something. And I'm just trusting him right now in this process. That's the real people who have faith. It's not this facade that people put on and act like they've got it all figured out because I promise you they don't. They don't. I've been around some people that you would know on TV and I've listened in meetings with these individuals that are well-known preachers and I've heard them talk about the difficulties they have gone through. And if all you hear is their 30-minute segment on TV, you're going to think, in my past, if you think, well, they just got it made, they don't. They go through difficulty just like you. Then I'll give you some, not some hope because you're going through difficulty, but some hope to say, man, I'm not the only one. So you mean I'm not the only one that's had to deal with this? No. That makes me feel better. To let me know that, my goodness, I thought it was just me. It's not just you. God is with you. Just like he was with Paul and just like he was with Luke. And Luke wrote about joy at the Annunciation of Jesus Christ. But he also has talked about having joy in the midst of circumstances. He also talked about having joy throughout all of his writings. And yet he went through so much. So this season I'm asking you, trust God. Look out above 
to see what maybe God might be trying to do. Don't get stuck in the situation you're in. Trust the faithfulness of God. So why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. <clears throat> Dear Jesus, I just come before you and thank you for today and thank you for some wonderful families that are here. And Lord, I thank you that you are good. No matter what we face in life, Lord, you are good. And Lord, I pray I just give everybody a chance right now just to speak this to you, Lord, that if there's anybody here that they've caught themselves caught up with something they've heard, someone misquote Bible verses or they've thought that, you know, they've made mistakes and that's why some of these bad things have happened to them. I just pray right now that they would just repent of that and give this to you right now. It's a simple prayer, and I'm not going to ask you to pray out loud, but it's something you can do right there in your heart. It's just an adjustment in your heart that just simply says, Dear Jesus, I, I thought you were angry with me, and I can see today that you're not angry. If Jesus paid for everything, then I just surrender this situation to you today, and I, I just trust you that you're going to work it out for my good. And I don't know how you're going to do it. Don't know, I don't even know why it happened, God, but I... I, I do not blame you, God, for the bad things that have happened in my life. I give it to you today, Lord, and I just trust you to turn things around. And God, I take this time right now, and I count it as an opportunity for great joy. I don't have joy right now, but I'm going to take this opportunity to look for the joy of the Lord in this season. You just talk to God about that this week. You just have that moment with the Lord right there and just pray something. That, but you release God from the blame of negative or bad things that have happened because they happen to all of us and are not the Lord's fault. And maybe you're here today and you say, Hey, Pastor Jody, I have never accepted Jesus, but I need to do that today. I'm going to pray a prayer, and right now the whole church is going to pray with you. You're not going to be by yourself, but I want to pray this prayer right now for you. Just repeat this after me with everybody in the room. Say, Dear Jesus, I come before you. I give you my life, and I give you my heart. Dear Jesus, I give you control of all my life, of everything. I surrender, and I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.